This week on Excelsior Journeys, my guest is best-selling author, entrepreneur, nonprofit organization leader, speaker, all the same person, Kim Sorrell. Kim has been on multiple journeys in her life, including traveling to various countries, surviving cancer, dealing with the loss of a loved one through cancer, and even getting pursued by a motorcycle gang. There is a lot to tell in Kim's story, and I am so, so excited for you to hear it. So, JLD, do the honors. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's you, why I moment? taught myself how to draw. It was actually the Little Mermaid. Drawing stills of Ariel. On. I've got better things to do tonight than so die. He jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater with him saying, I'm going to write home. I'm rather sense. impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the car. It doesn't have to too. be perfect. Just do it. You know, yeah. throw some spaghetti yeah. against the wall. See this if it is sticks. George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for tuning in for over 175 episodes. We are getting really close to that 200 mark. I am really, really excited about it. And I am so thankful for you for tuning in, for listening, for subscribing. The rates and reviews, everything is so appreciated. And I hope that love keeps coming in 2023 when Excelsior Journeys joins nine other shows as part of the Once Upon a Podcast Network. There's a whole lot of great greatness that's coming from this, from this show, from the other shows. It's it's really it's really exciting time, and I'm really looking forward to to you joining me. And it is always a thrill to to have a guest on here that is so wonderfully multi-layered that has all these all these different things that that are going on. What I have who I have here as a guest is an entrepreneur, a director of a nonprofit organization, a speaker, and an award-winning best-selling author who has also dealt with with cancer, with with losing a loved one to cancer, to being chased by a motorcycle gang, to being to sleeping on the ground where snakes and tarantulas are. To getting lost on a mile high mountain. And this is all the same person. And I am just so, so excited to have as my guest, Kim Sorrell, who will be speaking all about all of these different experiences, as well as everything that went into her award winning best selling book, Love Is. It is a real thrill to have her here. It is my pleasure to introduce to you, Kim Sorrell. Kim, how are you? I am doing great, George. Quite an introduction. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you reaching out. This is yet another reason to to suggest to all podcasters out there, if you are not on podmatch.com, I honestly don't know what you're doing to get your guests because the quality of guests that I, that have been coming through as a result of being on Podmatch has just been absolutely mind-blowing. And Kim is the, la- is the latest example of that. So thank you, Kim, for reaching out to me there. My pleasure. My pleasure. It is a great platform. And yes, it's something people should use for sure. Absolutely. And before we dive into to your lightning bolt moments, you've you've heard the show, the the basic format of the show. And I'm, again, very appreciative of that. Now let's talk a little bit about Love Is itself. And tell us a little bit about this book that it, that had come out and has become such a big hit. Well, a few years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And four months later, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. 
And he passed away six weeks after that. And my life turned upside down. I thought I had everything planned. I knew what I was doing. I thought I knew what my future held. And all of a sudden at 47 years old, I had to reinvent and figure out a whole new future. And so losing him made me question some things. And one of them was love, the real meaning of love. And Mm -hmm. so I decided I would figure it out. Wow. Wow. And, and that took you on, did that take you on the journey that you mentioned about being, uh, about doing the mile high, the mile high hike and wind up getting lost? Is that, is that part of your journey in the book itself? Yes. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. I decided I would dedicate a year to figuring out the true meaning of love. And most of the time I was in Haiti. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Which was a whole experience all by itself, right? Yeah. 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 So it was fun. And I took this 2000 year old poem, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. You hear it at a lot of weddings. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, this is written. So I will take one word a month and Mm -hmm. figure out what is love that is patient? What is love that is kind? The first thing I figured out is that there's 14 is's and isn'ts of love rather than 12. So it took me a little longer than a year. But what I found out just blew my mind. Like things Mm -hmm. I found out about love that I never knew I've never heard before. Wow. Oh, that's terrific. That's terrific. Now for all of your different, your different, the different facets that make up, make up your life. Cause like you said, as, as noted, you being an entrepreneur, being the head of a nonprofit organization, being an author, being a speaker, there's a lot that goes into all of those that, that make up what you do, which is, which is truly fascinating. So, so it seems like in this case, almost like when discussing the lightning bolt moment, it's almost like a lightning storm. Like there's, there are different things that seem to inspire you, correct? Yes. Yeah. I would say that's absolutely true. So what was it that came first? What was it that really got you going on this path in the first place? Was it the writing first? Was it the speaking first? Was it, what was it that really got you going on this path in the first place? Well, I started out as an entrepreneur. I started my first company when I was 18 years old, right out of high school. Really? And yeah. And, and I've had businesses ever since. And what was that business? What was that first business? The first business was an old, empty furniture manufacturing building mm-hmm. that we then leased space. So it was like a storage, industrial space, some office space that we leased, and then got another building and another and another, and just built the business that way. Oh, but wow. Yeah, we had a golf course and catering business and grocery store wow. and yeah, just different things along the way. A lot of them that have stood the test of time and mm-hmm. I've had for years and years and others that have come and gone um, when, when the timing was right. They just sold them off like at the, when you were all finished with them? Yeah, basically. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. It sounds like one of the best things I remember hearing on Shark Tank saying that an entrepreneur is someone who will work 80 hours a week to avoid working 40. And it sounds like that's, it sounds like that's what you were doing there. It sounds like uh, there was a lot keeping you busy during that time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that and, and a husband, five kids and five kids. Wow. Yeah. Coaching. I coached basketball for 25 years. I coached varsity volleyball for 17 years. So yes, yes, it is. It is that 
it is that working 80 hours a week to avoid working 40. <laughs> that is exactly it. And you got to sleep when? <laughs> <laughs> Not much, but you know, you learn to sleep with, or you learn to get by with a little less sleep and yeah. get the work done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so you had the entrepreneurial sense, which is a terrific way to really kind of start things off because then all of a sudden you're starting to think, well, what else can I do? What, and all of a, it's, it's almost like you're primed to think outside the box, to not go on a specific path. It's just like what path works for me. And cause you've already taken several paths just on the entrepreneurial sense. So, so what came next after that? Well, I got into the nonprofit world. I, there was a hurricane that was going right over the Dominican Republic. And mm. I had just met a man from the Dominican Republic who had this vision to start a school there. And so it made me curious and passionate about helping the people in the Dominican Republic that homes were destroyed and mm-hmm. all the devastation that happened there. And yeah. so that Christmas, instead of doing Christmas as usual, my husband and I took our kids to the mm-hmm. Dominican Republic and worked for a week and, and helped oh, wow. out there. And that got me pretty hooked on, on doing things like that and helping that wow. way. And so you, so you were running a nonprofit organization. Are you still running that today or is it something that? Yes. Is, yep. You are. Excellent. What, what's yeah. it called? It's called Rays of Hope International. Rays of Hope International. Do you mind if I put that in the show notes? So that way no, people can. Do. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And so how long, how long have you been running that, that organization? Well, now 12 years, but I took a hiatus when I had cancer. And so before that, I've been involved since 98, 96, 98, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And it was, and so you've been able to kind of build up a good, a good support group that can, was, that was able to kind of take care of the the organization while you had to step away. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. And so now you're able to kind of get back into it. Is that how things are going right now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I was ready to go back to work after losing my husband and getting through the rest of my cancer journey, of course, I wasn't sure what I was going to do if I was going to go back into my businesses, but I had people running those. And so those were fine. Or if I was going to go back into the nonprofit world. And so I became part-time bookkeeper, um, a nonprofit that my dad and I had started 10 years before. I thought I'd take things slow and get back into work slowly. Mm -hmm. And 12 days after I started that, there was an earthquake in Haiti that killed 200,000 people. Wow. So within two weeks, I was in Haiti, on the ground in Haiti. And then for the next several years was in Haiti for at least part of every month. Mm Mm-hmm. Man, so having gone through all of this, I mean, being being the entrepreneur, like reaching out to to people to, to assist them with their needs on that end, and then all of a sudden doing the nonprofit organization for one for for that was servicing one country and then another country. It's just like there's a lot. That's a lot that you're doing for so many other people. So I can definitely understand the need to just kind of like take some time for yourself and really kind of get that sort of reflection that, that everyone really kind of needs with them for themselves. Yeah. I think that that's true. I mean, I think it's always good to figure out a time to step back and reevaluate, see where you're at, make sure that you're doing this, this life thing, right. 
Right. Make sure you're getting the most out of it and giving the most back to it. Now, do you feel like you would have you would have taken the, that initiative to actually go on that personal journey without the cancer? Or was that kind of like the impetus that really kind of got things going? Just kind of having you kind of like take a step back and just like, oh, wait, this isn't this this isn't going to last forever. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, it certainly puts life into a different perspective. Right. I mean, you can feel so invincible, like mm-hmm. not even think about ever being anywhere but here. Yeah. And then something like that happens and you go, well, maybe I'm not so bulletproof after all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and to, lo- and to lose your husband on, on top of that. And my condolences for that. No one should have to go through that. But once that happened, was that really just like, okay, I need to step away from all this. I need me time. Well, I think a lot of it is, is that when we have things that happen in life, mm-hmm. we, we have choices, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I never would choose to lose my husband. We, oh, of we were great not. together. Yeah. He was wonderful. I never mm-hmm. would choose cancer. I'd never choose for anyone to have cancer. Mm-hmm. But there are things that I do have control over that I can make a choice about. And it is how I'll live yeah. and how much joy I'll have and if I'll be happy and how much mm-hmm. love I'll give. I mean, those are all choices I get to make. Yeah. And when you can take a, a situation that is tough, hard, bad, something mm-hmm. that you're not choosing, but turn it into something good, find some good in it or find some way to help people through it. Mm-hmm. Then, then you're living. Then that's yeah. real life. Oh, that's great. That's a great way to to look at it too. Just like it's not so much about what happens to us; it's about what we do with what has been given to us. Yeah, so, very yeah. well said. I like the way you put that. Exactly. So true. Yeah. So, so the journey begins. Is that afterwards? Was that just like your? Were you confident that you were going to start writing a book about this, or was this something that you were just going to? just start the journey to find it out and then realize later on that there was a book in it? I decided that I was going to document what I was doing Mm -hmm. and that I was going to do it no matter what. And I'll tell you what, George, I have a hard time committing to an entree when I go out to eat at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. So to commit an entire year to something was a big stretch for me. (laughs) And (laughs) So, but I was determined that I was going to do that no no matter what, no matter if I ever told anybody about it, if Mm -hmm. my book was ever printed or not, it didn't matter. It was something I needed to do for myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And then you start on that journey. What was the first thing that you encountered that was just completely out of the ordinary for you? Because I mean, all the different things you listed when, when, during our initial communication, it was all just like. Whoa, like I got where to start about this. <laughs> when the movie starts, feels like this is almost like a road movie of self-discovery after dealing with with so much. You've completed act one, you went through everything, you made the decision to document this journey, and now all of a sudden act two starts. And what was the first thing you encountered that just completely threw you off? Oh my goodness. Well, the very beginning, the very first month that I was doing it, love is patient and was very patient. And I thought I knew what that meant. I thought, gosh, some of this is going to be so easy. We know what patience is. Everybody knows what patience is. So this is just going to be simple. And so that's Mm -hmm. what I thought. And so I I wrote what I thought it was going to be. And then 
something crazy would happen. Like that month, it was just catastrophe after catastrophe with getting shipping containers into the country, into Haiti. And it just was nuts. And it happened at the end of the month, every single month. It wasn't until the end of the month that something would knock me in the head and I'd go, oh, aha, that's what that means. And and so love is patient. I, I figured out right away that mm-hmm. when you put love is or love is not in front of a word, it changes the meaning completely. Mm, yeah. And so what I found out about love that is patient changed my whole life. Like if yeah. I would have stopped after just one month, I, mm-hmm. I would have gone, wow, that was life changing. <laughs> <laughs> so every single month though, there was something and every single month was so powerful and wow. crazy stuff happening. And, and so then I tell the story of yeah. what actually happens in Haiti that, that brings me to the realization. And so, yeah. So like love is patient, mm-hmm. you know, people that are curious the what I figured out about it is I think you're supposed to love everybody. Like that's the way to live. Just, just love people. Yeah. Just love people. And if you love with love that is patience, you recognize that this is the most important moment of your life. Mm-hmm. What's in the past is in the past and what's in the future is yet to come. Yep. This is the moment, this moment yeah. that will come and go with or without you. And I'll tell you, I thought I was the queen of multitaskers. Like mm-hmm. I could be thinking about a meeting I had later, what I needed to get from the grocery store on my way home, what kid had to get to soccer practice and be fully engaged in a conversation at the same time. And I quickly discovered that that is not true. I am not that <laughs> superpower. That is not my superpower. Yeah. And, and so, but when I began to practice love that is patient mm-hmm. and did make myself fully present in the moment without distractions, but Mm -hmm. really focusing on whoever it is that I'm with and showing love that way. Yeah. I learned things. My ears opened up. I heard things I never would have heard before. I realized I was making assumptions about what I thought people were going to say based on what I knew about them. Right. And, but people don't always say what you assume that they're going to say. And you find out that we have a lot more in common than not. And when that you is really very true. Listen, yeah. Yeah. And when you really listen, that is showing love. That is, that is love that is patient. That's great. That's great. And so, so you have the love is patient, mo- you know, like moment you realize you came to your realization on that. And which is always, that's always great. It's a great way to get that first, first one knocked out. Then all of a sudden you have love is kind. Right. And so what was it that, that, that made you realize that one? Wow. It's quite a story actually. And again, not till the end of the month. And again, I thought it was going to be so easy. We all know what kind is. We we're kind people. We do kind things, say kind things. Oh yeah. But I figured out working on it and working on it. I love to go to this place. I'm in Port-au-Prince. It's called the Home for Sick Children. It's run by Mother Teresa's Order of Sisters, the Sisters of Charity. Mm-hmm. And I love to go in the lower level where the babies are. And there yeah. is just a sea of cribs down there. And I like to mm. pick one baby to just cuddle all day and help feed and change wow. and, you know, just, just to bond with for the day. Mm-hmm. So I went there and I, and I walked over to this crib. I saw this little precious little baby, brand new, just looked like a brand new baby. 
in a pink sleeper, just sprawled out on on his back, found out it's a boy in the, in the pink sleeper, likely donated by some family in the United States, you know, whatever. And, yeah. and he had tubes feeding him oxygen. He had IV. Mm. And it was a little unusual to see a baby with that was so equipped like that when I go there. Yeah. And I wondered what was going on with this beautiful baby. And so as the morning went by, the story unfolded. There was a woman standing at the end of the crib. And that woman, Natalie, was Christopher's grandma. Mm. And Natalie's only child, Christopher's mom, died mm. shortly after giving birth on their dirt floor of their one-room house. Oh. And then Christopher was not taking a bottle. Mm. And at first, Natalie thought, well, it's not his mother's milk, so maybe that's the issue. And But then things just got worse, and he just grew more lethargic and less interested in a bottle. And so she walked for miles, miles to get to the sisters to try to find help for Christopher. Wow. And so, and of course the sisters were doing everything they could, but it's not a medical facility. It's, it's a a place where they just take care of people and, and love on people. And so with no more than a stethoscope, the, their best guess was that Christopher had an abdominal obstruction mm. and something that probably would easily be taken care of in the United States. But in yeah. Haiti, there aren't very many hospitals and there are not very many doctors and mm. and there's not any money. So to have something taken care of. So, so they did call a doctor and the doctor was put on notice that maybe Christopher would be coming for surgery. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a moment in the day when all of a sudden Christopher stopped breathing. Oh my. And we all stopped breathing. And then we oh. realized that there was a kink in his oxygen tube. And as soon as we straightened it out, he started breathing again. <sighs> so then we knew we needed a portable oxygen tank to get yeah. Christopher to the hospital for surgery. So I called oh. everyone I knew in Port-au-Prince and I know a lot of people and yeah. no one could could find one. No one could even think of where, look, very few people could even think of a place to go look for one, but there was not one portable oxygen tank to be had in a city with 2 million people. Not one, not one. So then poor Natalie had to make the choice because without oxygen, Christopher will die. Without surgery, Christopher will die. What, What do you do? What do you do? Mm -hmm. Well, she made the choice that surgery was really the only option. So a van pulled up as close as possible to the nearest store, kept the engine running. And in this quick flurry, one sister grabbed his oxygen off his nose, grabbed his IV bag, scooped him up into her arms, another sister grabbing other things and just ran to the door to get him in the car. And so I you know, watched him leave. And then I turned around and Natalie was still there. And mm. I'm like, Natalie, go, go. And then she pointed down at her feet and she had no shoes. And she knew oh. that she would not be allowed in the hospital with no shoes on. Mm-hmm. So I quick whipped off my sandals and I put them in her hand and I grabbed her by the arm and I ran her to the door and she hopped in just as the van was pulling away. Oh, wow. So, so I. Wow. So everyone is just like, just thinking only of Christopher yes. and get, and, and, and get, and making sure that he's taken care of. And the one thing that he's going to need afterwards is family. So 
that missing piece you were able to provide. Like that was, that's tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I gave Natalie my sandals. I, I think anybody would, I mean, of course you want her to be with Christopher, right? You want her to be with her grandson. You want him to have her. And, and so I think anybody would probably give their shoes up, but I knew I'd never see her again. I'd never see my shoes again. And, and so then that's when it hit me is kind really means. So Mm -hmm. love that is kind is doing kind things, saying kind words, you know, acts of kindness, whatever, but with zero expectation of getting anything in return, zero expectation. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say, oh my gosh, they didn't even say thank you. Or I went to their daughter's wedding. Where are they at mine? You know, whatever. Well, as soon as yeah. you do that, that's not love anymore. That That's not love that's, that is kind. Maybe you did something. That's reciprocation. That's yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, but I realized too, that sure, I gave Natalie my sandals, but what she gave me that day to share that precious baby boy that I will never forget, that will never mm-hmm. leave my heart. Yeah. For her to share him with me was a greater gift than and and her expecting absolutely nothing in return for it mm-hmm. is such a beautiful thing. So wow. that's how I finally figured out love that is kind. Yeah. Now I won't ask you to go through like every single point here because I want people to go ahead and and obviously get their hands on this book because it sounds tremendous and it definitely sounds like something that I believe would make a fascinating read and also a fascinating listen. Have you done the audiobook for it? The audiobook actually comes out in about a week. Fantastic. Uh, yes. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so folks, as you're listening, as you're listening to this, this today is Tuesday, December 6th, which means that it would be Tuesday, December 13th. Same I think when it, it comes out. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So please go over to Amazon once you're finished listening to this and, and get your copy of this because it is available on audiobook as you are listening to this. So by all means, go ahead and get it. I know I am. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. So, so, but I do have to ask though, motorcycle gang, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Motorcycle gang. Yeah. Give us a little bit about just a little bit of details about that. Don't go, sure. don't tell the full story. I want, I want my listener to hear the whole story and everything, but yeah. What's right. What spawned this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was having to drive a truck from mm-hmm. Haiti to the Dominican Republic. And I had two friends with me, two guys from the U.S. with me. And we had to cross the border. And when you cross the border from Haiti to the Dominican Republic, things can be a little sketchy. You know, you got to be a little careful. And oh, I yeah. crossed the border plenty of times and, and was always told, never stop on the Haiti side. You never stop on the Haiti side. Mm-hmm. And anytime I'd crossed that there was one building on the Dominican side and half of it was Haitian, half of it was Dominican. So you got your your passport stamped, walked a few stops, got your passport stamped again. And so we got to the border and people are everywhere and they're waving us down and they're trying to stop us from crossing. And I'm like, no, just go, just go. We're not supposed to stop. We got to the other side and come to find out we were supposed to stop. Oh, they no. changed up the system and we needed our passport stamp <sighs> on the other side of the border. Oh, no. So we ended up, there was a, a gentleman there from the Dominican Republic that spoke English. He came over and, and he arranged for a couple of motorcycles to take us back over 
the border to get our mm-hmm. passport stamp and come back again. So he negotiated price and whatever. Mm-hmm. So I left one of my friends with the truck to make sure our stuff was safe in the back. We had lots of tools and things. Right. And the other friend and I both hopped on a motorcycle and went back over, got our passport stamp, came back and went to pay the guys. And they argued about the price. And I'm like, well, no, you know, we negotiated a price ahead of time. And yeah. this is what we told you we'd pay. This is what I'm paying. So gave them the money. And then we went and got our passport stamped on the Dominican side. And then we start driving away. Mm-hmm. And the man from the Dominican Republic had hopped in the back of our truck. He wanted a ride. Yeah. And we had our guys still in the back of the truck. And so two of us were in the front seat and my friend was driving. And all of a sudden we hear from the back, go faster, go faster. Oh, no. Like, what's going on? And we're on a dirt road and they're screaming, go faster, go faster. And then we realized that rocks were being thrown at us, not like small rocks, but some big size rocks that could do some damage were being thrown at the truck. Yeah. And so my friend just started driving like Mario Andretti. I think some of the time we might've been up on two wheels, taking the curves in this great big truck. It felt like, and motorcycles were chasing us and they would come alongside of us and try to push us over to the side. And my friend would speed up and, And oh my word, our adrenaline was just rushing. It was just the craziest thing. We didn't know what was going to happen. It was felt like our lives were on the line. Yeah. And there were so many of them that we finally, finally got away from them. Yeah. And and my friend and I just kind of looked at each other like, what just happened? And and he said, What was that all about? And I said, Well, they wanted more money. You know, I I think that maybe Mm. that was it. I I didn't pay them more. I paid them what we'd agreed to. And he said, well, well, how much more money did they want? And I said, well, $5. So hindsight, maybe (laughs) we should have given the $5. That might have saved some grief. Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. Probably not my smartest move, not my smartest moment, but man, it was, it was crazy. And a lot more happened. It was nuts. Wow. So yeah. love is frugal. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> so you go through all these experiences. You go through this whole journey. You have everything documented. What did it feel like actually like putting this book together and realizing, hey, I got something here? Well, I put together a book proposal. Yeah. And and I thought, well, my first book I self-published. Right. And then it was picked up by a publisher. And so mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do with it exactly. But I happened to be at a writer's conference where you can meet with a couple of acquisition editors were there. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Okay. Which is really nice. Right. So yeah. you get 15 minutes with an editor. And so yeah, I'm not with. Yeah I, yeah. I ran I ran a couple of conferences like that myself through the yeah. Missouri, Missouri Writers Guild, because I was vice president and president in 2017, 2018. And so it was, that part of it is always a blast to be able to put together, put together that room where you have agents or editors, publishers, whatever the case, and have them just kind of at the ready to listen to all these different pitches and to see the enthusiasm from the, from the goers of the, of the conference and seeing someone actually wants to do something with this. It's always great. It's always great. Right. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was, it was great. I met with two different publishers mm-hmm. uh, and then went back to the same writer's conference the next year. I hadn't heard yeah. from anybody. 
went back to the same writers conference the next year and they said it. And the one publisher said, did you, did Kathleen get a hold of you? And I'm like, what? Nope. And they mm-hmm. said, we're, we're going to publish your book. And I went, well, great. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Would have been great to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But all right. That's awesome. Yeah. That's terrific. Yeah. It was good. That is terrific. So, so you were able to put the, you, you got, you were able to put the book together. You got to deliver it. And once it was finished, how did you celebrate? Well, I did a, a book launch that the the day that it came out and mm-hmm. uh, invited lots of family and friends. And it was a year ago now. So it was COVID-ish time. Oh, still. Yeah, yeah. And so I did it virtually and in person. And okay. so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of hit the ground running with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Now, were you able to get like uh, like some like a bookbub feature deal or anything like that in order to kind of really push the exposure of the book along? Well, actually, with the publisher, my book was their feature book for the season. Oh, great! So, right in their catalog, you open it up, and the very first page was "Love Is." So that was pretty cool. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And that's and that's why I love like working with publishers, and everything like the the ones that that know what they're doing that really want to invest in you and mm-hmm. makes you feel like you really have a team behind you. Cause I've I've gone both routes myself. I've done I've worked with publishers, but I've also done the the indie route. And it really is something to be said about working with publishers that that treat you well and they're able to show that like, hey, they're investing in you on this. Right. So, and that they believe in you. It feels so yeah. good. Like they hired an outside publicity agent. You mm-hmm. work with the people in-house, but mm-hmm. they hired somebody specifically for me, which was oh, wow. great. Yes. So So I they must have known that like, hey, this is this is a very important message that's here. You this has to be th- this can definitely catch on. So. Yes. Yeah. They they definitely have been very supportive. And so it it that's been nice too. So was it the book that led to you being a speaker or did you already start as a speaker and, and the book is basically like a, a means of getting it out there? Well, I, I've i spoken in the past about my other book, about to Susan G. Coleman, American Cancer Society, you know, different places I've spoken for. Mm-hmm. And so now the speaking is Love Is, or the majority of the speaking I do is Love Is and, and centered around the true meaning of love. And so really it was the book and then the speaking when it comes to, to love. Excellent. Excellent. Now you mentioned you had a pre another book as well. What's that one about? Cry until you laugh is the name mm-hmm. of that book. And I started writing when I was diagnosed with cancer because mm-hmm. I went to the bookstore and everything seemed to be either depressing or just very medical technical. Mm-hmm. And I needed something to tell me what I was going to go through. Yeah. Like, are there choices to make what actually happens? And and there didn't seem to be anything out there. So I started writing as a way to, to update family and friends. I'm going to the doctor tomorrow or whatever's going on. And I quickly did find out, by the way, that that there are choices you have to make. You know, I didn't know if you just the doctor says this is what you do and you do it, but but it doesn't quite work that way. You know, there are some hmm. choices you have to make. Like one of the choices I had to make was, was breast cancer and and to remove one side or two. And we were sitting around the dinner table, my family, and I was talking about it. And I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. You know, what are you mm-hmm. supposed to do? I don't know. Yeah. And my son, Paul, said to me, he said, Mom, would you get new siding on just half the house? Mm. And I went, oh, 
Good point, son. There's my that's, answer. You're that's right. a really good point right there. That's very valid. <laughs> right. Yeah. I thought, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And so then I had my answer. Yeah. But so I was continuing to write. I was still writing when my husband was diagnosed because I was still going through everything and and then losing him. And so that's what the book is, is it's it's for about a year of my life that that whole time, my journey, my husband's journey, and and then yeah. my journey losing my husband and after. And so cry until you laugh is the name of it, because I believe that's what you have to do. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to laugh again and and honor the person that you lost by, by living. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, that's tremendous. That's tremendous. And that, and that was the one that you published on your own, correct? Yes. Right. Okay. And how did that one do? How, when it, when it came out? Yeah. 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 It's done well. It continues to sell. It's a, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's funny. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully people yeah. enjoy my sense of humor and <laughs> love is, is funny as well. You know, there's mm-hmm. some tear jerking moments, but, but some funny stuff that happens for sure. And so, you know, to have a book that, that is a resource for people who are going mm-hmm. through stuff, a caretaker, someone being taken care of, going through cancer, going through whatever in life, yeah. be able to have, find you know, some moments to laugh and learn along the way, mm-hmm. I think is always helpful. That's great. That is, that is great. And you mentioned before that that, that one also got picked up by a publisher. Was that the same publisher? Uh, no, different publisher, a publisher out of New York. That one was, and yeah. And and that happened right. actually at a writer's conference as well. Oh, no kidding. Oh, that's yeah, great. The, the keynote speaker was from a large publishing house and I just talked to him after, gave him my card, gave him a copy of my book and said, Hey, I don't know, you know, whatever. And he ended up reading it in the air, in the airplane on the on his way home. Oh, I am so happy that that happened. I am so happy because it's something that always that people really forget that so that you that all it really takes is just you make that contact, you speak with them and everything, you let them get to know you, you get to know them, and who knows who knows what what can wind up happening. I got my agent through having lunch at a convention and we just started talking and everything. And that's when she was asking, just like, what do you have? What do you have in the pipeline? And I didn't have anything in the pipeline at that point, because I was working on part three of my trilogy. And I already had that set up with a, with a different publisher. And when I pitched her, like the idea of what I had after I wanted, after I finished up that trilogy, then she wanted to, she wanted to represent me. And it was, and it's because of those, Moments of like, you know, meeting with them, getting to know them and everything, befriending them right back to what you were saying before about, you know, like doing something without expectation of of that. Just like with with me, it was just like I was glad to have her as a friend. I was glad to to have someone that I could kind of just like reach out if I had a question about something. I didn't expect for her to be my agent, but that's what wound up happening. It's just amazing what can happen if you just just put yourself out there. Just. Mm-hmm meet people. Yeah. It's fun to meet people. It really is. It really is. That's a big reason why I'm doing this show in the first place. So, you know, here I am meeting you and get, and getting to know your story and just knowing that this is a fascinating journey. And I'm glad that I could, that I could share it here on this platform. So, so, so what do, so say there's someone that has their own kind of story. They've gone through 
whatever they they've been dealing with in life and they believe that they have something there that they can they can make it into into a book that they can get get that that out there what would you say is like the first thing that they need to do to kind of bring their journey to other people's attention i would say start writing just yeah. just start writing carve out a time put it on your calendar whatever you need to do to stay committed to it but mm-hmm. but start writing. I think everybody's got a book in them. Every, everybody yeah. has a unique a unique story. Everybody has something special that's happened to them and nobody else, and and or has happened to them and has happened to other people. And so people need to know they're not alone in it, right? Right. And so just start writing. Start writing and see where it goes. And I think if you have the attitude, or it sure worked for me, I guess. Having the attitude of if anybody ever reads it, great. If if nobody ever mm-hmm. reads it, great. For you to put it down on paper, that's that's a triumph. You know, you know how many people talk about writing a book or say, "I'm going to," you know, "I need to," "I I just know," whatever, mm-hmm. and never ever type a word, never put anything together. I mean, yep. there's way more of those than people that actually put it put it on paper. So yeah, put it on paper. Start, start writing. I actually had a similar experience with someone over at over at a Barnes and Noble who actually works at one that I did at an event at last month, who came up to me and and said that she was an aspiring author. And I asked her, "Where are you in your journey?" And she's like, "Well, I've I finished and I've self published three novels, and I have and a short piece that I did was ex- accepted by an anthology." And I told her, I never want to hear you say the words aspiring author again. You are not an aspiring author. The aspiring (laughs) authors are the ones that, just like you said, that go through life and just say, oh, I should write a book. Oh, I have a book in me. And they never put word one down on paper or on the screen. And so the fact that she is, I I told her, I said, like, you, you cannot ever call yourself an aspiring author. You are an author. And it's time to embrace that. Mm -hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Good words. Yes. Yeah. And and where can where can my listeners find you on social media? Well, I'm literally the only Kim Sorrell spelled my way in the entire world because my last name is obnoxious. It has way too many letters. There are two R's, two E's, two L's, S-O-R-R-E-L-L-E, Kim Sorrell. So I am all over social media. KimSorrell.com is my website. Mm-hmm. But you can also get to my website, loveis.info. Mm-hmm. And if you type in love is in a Google search, chances are I'm going to come up pretty soon. And love is is probably the easiest thing to remember. But Kim Sorrell, I love hearing from people. I, I love hearing about people's journeys. I love meeting new people. This has been incredible, George. You're amazing. I love the way you, I love the way you, talk. I love the way you have conversation. I love your level of interest. I love your podcast. Everyone should have your podcast at least on their top 10, if not their top three or top one. And you really are amazing at what you do and your passion for it and your love for people really shines through. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I'm I'm a, I'm a little speechless right now. <laughs> that that is the really you know you, you made my day by by saying that. Thank you so much. I I really really appreciate it, and I want nothing more than for everyone listening, everyone who has a creative spark within them, to cultivate it and to reach 
the maximum potential of your project. Everyone has something in them, just like what, what Kim was, was just saying. And whatever your story is, whatever your journey is, you got to get it out. It is there. And I really hope that all of you that are listening can take Kim's advice, can go ahead and get your journeys out there, get it out there into the world because you never know who is going to need to hear that journey and who will be inspired by it to start on their own. So for Kim Sorrell, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.